Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Day Beautiful. I'm Adam Vitkavich, and this is a podcast where I interview a debut author about their reading and writing history, what inspires them, their debut book from Genesis to editing it, and from querying agents to finally selling it. If you like what you hear here, check us out on daybeautiful.net and follow us on social media at daybeautiful. Today's guest is from Chicago and is the author of two award-winning poetry collections, Thief in the Interior and Mutiny. He is the recipient of a Whiting Award and fellowships from the Radcliffe Institute of Advanced Study at Harvard and the National Endowment for the Arts. He currently teaches in the MFA program at New York University, and his debut novel, Ours, is out now. Please welcome Philip B. Williams. Now, Philip, I just read your official bio, but I'm curious, what is your unofficial bio? Who is Philip B. Williams? Philip is a chronic napper. <laughs> chronic napper i sleep whenever i can and as much as possible and um i love sushi i love food period mm-hmm. um i think i would be one of those food aficionados what do they call them not a, really a foodie but you know the folks who go around into restaurants all over the world and they, they get recorded just to smile and say how delicious something is that would be me <laughs> i love it um are you the type of person who can nap anywhere or do you like to like find a bed to nap in it depends. It depends. If I trust the environment, I can sleep anywhere. Sometimes I just can't help it. Like I'll just fall asleep knowing that I should not be sleep in that place. Like a public train, for instance, no one should be doing that unless they absolutely, you know, have to, because um, I miss my stop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I don't, I used to be able to sleep on planes, but now I just stay up. I can't even like, I'm just so stressed about being on a plane now that I can't even oh relax. Um, no matter how long the flight is. Yeah. I did an overnight from Denver where I live to London. So the 12 hours overnight. And I was up the entire time, like watching Goodness. fast, watching fast and furious movies. <laughs> well, there are about 12 why. hours of those. So yeah, yeah see, it worked out. Um, I, I, I want to dive in with, um, Talking about your poetry before we get into your novel, um, you are the author of Mutiny, which came out a few years ago, and then Thief in the Interior, which came out in 2016, and there's more poetry coming out, but now that a novel is coming out, do you, how do you describe yourself? Are you a poet? Do you say, I am a writer? How do you describe your relationship with this part of the, your world? I call myself a writer, which makes one of my Instagram pages feel <laughs> like a trap because it's, <laughs> it has poet in it, but it just sounded better. Um, yeah. But yeah, I consider myself a writer. Um, I don't think that poetry and the novel will be the only things that I write. They're also just, they're not the only things that I've written, but mm-hmm. yes, I do consider myself a, a generalist. I'm a writer. Yeah. How did you get into being a writer was this something that um you were telling your parents and and family and relative stories as a kid or did you find the art form later in life I was always writing as soon as I could my first stories and and creations happened in first grade we had to keep a journal a daily journal so it's just been a thing that's I guess innate to you know who I am do you remember your first grade teacher who created that assignment, what their name was? Oh, yeah. Mrs. Bellamy. That mm-hmm. that touches my heart. I I 
taught high school for two years very briefly. So just teachers hold a special place in my heart. And I remember all my elementary school teachers and, and how they helped shape really what I was interested in. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be writing if I didn't have the, that early encouragement to do so. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Uh, was poetry involved in your, your schooling? Like, and, and what I mean by that, not where you taught it, but were you encouraged to write poems or was it more focused on writing, you know, essays and, and whatnot? Or like, did, did teachers push that creativity into your life? It was mostly essays, things like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm the first poem that I wrote was actually in, in first grade. And I, I think it is because I related them to songs. Mm. So for so for me, I was writing songs that didn't have music. <laughs> yes. That's my earliest memory of, you know, what it felt like to write uh, poems. I didn't, I wasn't taught poems until maybe a little bit later and they were more so just ways to remember facts and things like that. They weren't like Shakespeare, that, that came much later, but yeah, we were, I think as like most folks brought up, we were taught the essay and <laughs> that was, well, I wasn't even really taught how to write short stories or anything like that. So I had to just read a lot and realize that I wanted to do that through some of the stories that I'd read and some of the poems that I read. Who were some of the early writers or just like books in general that you connected with and you really like ins that inspired you? earliest I thought I would be like R.L. Stein and write my own kind of goosebump series. Mm -hmm. I had drawn the book covers and everything. And I was like, oh, okay, now I just, now I need to write it. Of course I never did it. Yes. <laughs> I never started. I don't know where those covers are either. And uh, <laughs> in high school, the first poets that I, I, I sat down and read and said, this is, I think this is something that I, I could try to do were Sonia Sanchez, um, Lee Young Lee and Reggie Gibson, who had who did spoken word and he had a book um, come out while I was uh, going to to school. So, yeah, those are the the earliest influences as far as poetry books that I owned and read all the time. The idea of goosebumps, uh, I, I love that. I think I ran in a lot of circles, or a lot of my friends in in high school, elementary school, junior high. That you know, the first eighteen years of my life were all creative. Some of them did go on to write books or join bands, etc. But I feel like a lot of people find it hard to go from a lot of teenagers find it hard to go from I want to do this to doing it. What? What is your advice to your former self or what what was the catalyst when you went from I want to write my own goosebumps to I am going to write? Like, how did you get over that hump? I don't know. I just, it, it stuck, you know? And I think, I don't know, this is just speculation, but I think mm -hmm. what happens is when someone younger finds something that sticks, the rest of the world doesn't allow it to stick. They're, you know, trying to find different avenues or other projections of their own dreams to put onto, you know, that person who's saying, this is what I want to do. I think more often than not, we know, or we have some inkling of what gives us joy and that we want to, you know, make a sustainable part of our lives. But if we're not encouraged to continue to do that, I was given books all the time. And when I would write something and show it to someone, they would say, oh, this is really good. Keep going. 
it was as simple as that. So I knew that I already had, I was already magnetized by, by reading and writing. And um, I was continuously encouraged also <laughs> just all the time to do it. So yeah, I, I think it's more so environmental or it's paired up with, you know, someone who is really finding themselves in whatever art form or whatever interest while the society and family and friendships around them are saying, yeah, you should keep doing that. Was your family, you know, when you're 18, 19, 20, early adulthood, was your family behind you? Did they give full support or do they not understand it? How, how was your relationship? How's your family's relationship to your art then and now? Loved it. They wanted me to keep yeah. doing it. I remember, so when I went to undergrad, I was originally a business student. Mm, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you have to apply separately to get into the the, the business college, even in undergrad. Mm -hmm. So it was seen as this achievement. Um, and I didn't stay. I, I found the, the classes just incompatible with what I wanted to, wanted to do. And I ended up taking more English classes when I was supposed to be taking the business admin classes. And I told my mom, that I wanted to leave the business school and do the English program. And she said, that's great. You know, you've always read, you've always, you know, written. So go, go ahead and do that. I think maybe months later, maybe even a year later, I said, I wanted to add a minor. She's like, whatever you do, just, just graduate. She, she mm -hmm. just wanted me to get the, <laughs> get the undergraduate degree. But yeah, whatever I wrote, whatever art form I, I, part, I part, uh, partook in, they, they just supported me. And I was really, you know, blessed and lucky to have that as my upbringing. Mm -hmm. uh, I should know this and I don't. So forgive me. After <laughs> undergrad, did you do an MFA program? I ended up doing HIV testing and counseling for a couple of years. And then I did undergrad. So I had an adult, a little bit of adult living before yeah you know, going to Wash U in St. Louis. Um, and I, I think that was that was helpful because I, I knew then after being in this field that I would still actually go back to, just not in the nonprofit way, mm. that I needed to go back to write. It just kept coming up. So I needed to be in an environment where I just could not do it. I didn't have time to do it, to know that it was exactly the thing that I needed to do. That privilege of being able to write whenever I wanted to had to be taken away from me in order for me to say, oh no, this is exactly what I should be doing. Do you feel that adult living between, I, I know it worked for you and, and you just explained it, but do you feel more writers should do that? Adult living between undergrad and MFAs or does it not matter? Is it all about the person? How do you, what is your advice if I just finished my undergrad? I want to go if to If you MFA just finish program. your undergrad, go go live yeah. a life outside of, it's a completely different experience to be mm -hmm. what, I don't know if people still consider it, but they call it a career student where you just, going from undergrad to grad school to more grad school yeah. to maybe even doing a professorship. And that's a way to, to do it. Plenty of people do it that way. If you're wanting to be an artist, though, I would say take some time out to float around in the world, get some experiences, get some images embedded in you, find some folks to fall in love with, find some folks to not 
fall in love with to, mm. to dislike and and then you know go into humbled you know go into the the graduate program yeah yeah and we're about 15 minutes into this and we do not even talk about i should transition to why why i invited you onto this podcast your beautiful <laughs> book titled ours thank you um, but i oh, want that to was get the fastest 15 minutes ever mind you and 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 we'll continue to sprinkle in your like like your career, but I do just um, at the top of podcasts like to t like ask the author how do you describe what this book is about? Cut past the publicity copy, the media, what they view the book as. What is ours from your perspective? From my perspective, ours is a book exploring the privileges of isolation, what it means to be free, how freedom comes with its own complexities and challenges, but everyone deserves the opportunity to experience those complexities and challenges. It questions what is, what we can call reality versus what is fiction, what some people think is unreal for some folks is the foundation of their culture, the foundation of who they are, how they build societies, how they relate to themselves and, and other folks. So it is a book that knows the importance of self-determination and being able to create and define a world for one's own. Mm -hmm. And and I'm, I'm glad you, you explained that because I, I think it goes back to like how you were exploring arts, you know, your entire career and, and what is true, what is not true, what is someone's reality? Um, were these things that you were always thinking about, like in your poetry? And, and forgive me, I'll admit, I have not yet read your collections, but I have them now. Um, ours was my first exposure to you. Mm -hmm. um, but for people who are like me, who just pick up this this novel, how does your poetry play with these ideas and how do they relate to ours, the novel? I can speak particularly around mutiny because I consider, I was I've, I had been writing the novel for 16 years on and wow. off. Okay. And the, 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 the last four years, meaning 2018 through 2022, is how the version of the novel that everyone will have came to be hmm. so it was well almost 20 years of creating the the book and in between time thief in the interior was written and mutiny was written so i was writing these two genres and no one else knew that that i was doing that except for folks who yes. you know was around while i was you know contemplating you know am i going to go back to the novel which had all these different titles and the plot was you know doing its own thing but mutiny interrupted the kind of like the the tail end of me writing ours and so it shares a lot of themes and a lot of explorations around African diasporic spiritual traditions um, hoodoo and conjure freedom uh, navigating through the 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 conflict of being someone who's a black artist and wanting to do black writing and you know and wanting to, to make a living off that but not wanting to be taken advantage of and saying this is what a black story is you need to write this you need to write the trauma you need to write the oppression and so mutiny definitely benefited from and I, I do think it benefited from me being so deep in ours because those two books are allowed to be in conversation in that way 
Yeah. And ours being a 16 year old at this point, <laughs> how different is it from what you thought it was going to be 16 years ago? You know, I had an outline for ours and I strayed from the outline to the point where it became useless. <laughs> so I ended up just freestyling the book and just writing it serially. I would write a chapter, send it to my agent, Bill Plague, and keep going. So he would get it chapter by chapter and I was writing it in that way. I didn't go back and fix things and I just kept pushing forward. So it's a completely different experience in writing it, but it's still really close to what I thought it would be. It has all of the magical elements, has a ton of characters that <laughs> I thought, you know, it would have. It started off as a short story in undergrad mm. and uh, Crystal Wilkinson, she chose it for this, this prize. It was fourth place. And um, on her note, she said, I think this is part of something longer. So I always knew it was going to be a bigger story this big not necessarily but full of magic and you know full of different plot lines but the way that it came out i had no idea it was going to be that organic and without a lot of pre-planning mm -hmm. was there ever a time in the years where you thought this isn't it it's not going to come out i can't figure it out yep all the time it was all the time. That's why it took so long. <laughs> it was all the time. And I needed, I needed to pause. I wasn't mature enough to write the book that's coming out at all. Can you imagine this book coming out? I'm 25 years old. That would have, you know, there's a, there are so few people who could do that. Zadie Smith, she was 24 when White Teeth came out. That's a particular kind of, you know, experience that I just wasn't prepared to, to have. I stopped and started and stopped and started all 16 of those years and the most fruitful years i thought even then that i i didn't think i could sustain it even when i had momentum um it was a challenge of perseverance to say the least but yeah i absolutely had to sit and reevaluate my life a few times while writing this book. And luckily, uh, my mom kept encouraging me to, to, to do it. I'm curious with books that do take this long and, and, and books often take this long. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I feel like a lot of young and not young, um, new and emerging writers think I could get a book out in six months, you could find an agent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm curious with books that do take a decade plus how your personal life and then the public life around us, elections, uh, travesties, etc., influence the book. So I guess I'll start with you. How did your personal life and how did you growing change ours and, and make it what it is now? I had to just become more receptive to myself mm. in, in many ways. The novel is a reflection, not necessarily of a lot of the things that were going on, but you can definitely see there's some things that were going on in the in the novel. Um, Mike Brown's murder, for instance, is a, you know an influence in one of the through lines in the in the book. But for me, one of the bigger one of the biggest themes in the book is loneliness and. That that was something I was living through and experiencing throughout the 
particularly the, the final years of, of writing the book. But I realized, you know, because you get the therapy, that was just <laughs> something I was I was feeling for my entire life is this feeling of um, being alone in a, in a way. And that that is that has infiltrated the the plot. And I think in a beautiful way, I don't think that it brings the, the book down. But those characters are are definitely trying to discover how do I relate to someone else? And they have to learn, just like I had to learn, what does it mean to be an individual? How do you create a self that then can relate to other folks? So the ego has to be there, but it can't be the only thing. There has to be a permeable wall so other folks can can get inside. So, yeah. And, and, and you touched upon, you know, Mike Brown, and, and uh, there has been countless uh, incidences like that did you find yourself um writing or changing i guess changing thoughts and and plot lines in reaction to things going on in the 2000s that now that didn't happen no okay. the majority of the book takes place during the yeah. the 1800s right and there are different times throughout mm -hmm. the the book that are flashed both forward and backwards but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i had to stick with that world i was creating that is that was what was most important to me if anything the novel helped me to and i needed to do this to compartmentalize say i have to create this world and this world is going to sustain this part of me. Mm -hmm. And then when I step away and I have to get back to reality, I will feel not necessarily refreshed, but I, I will feel as though I have something for myself because a lot of my life did not feel like it belonged to me. It felt it was so public. And it was because my body in a public space always seemed as though it was a kind of vulnerable and in danger, right? So the novel safe space is a loaded term, but the novel allowed me a place, a mental location, right? For me to, for me to surrender into, because I could not surrender in my everyday life. And throughout the 16 years, and really in the last four years, I guess, uh, what, what changed in the first the first part of that decade and a half to the last four years when you referenced that's when it became what ours is today. I changed who would be the core of the story. Mm -hmm. So I don't like saying there's a main character because there are so many characters yeah. and they all have fulfilling plot lines. But Saint, who's the conjure woman who frees those who were enslaved in Arkansas and then she brings them up, she delivers them through this, this kind of Harriet Tubman way to this new promised land in, in Missouri, and she hides them. She had to be able to do that. There was a completely different character who wanted to be the core of the story, and it just didn't work. So once I shifted from whoever that was to Saint, I, it was instant. Mm. As it, it was a light bulb, literally, when I, I could see light behind my eyes, like, okay, I got it. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's go. And how does rewriting or starting a new look in that time period, what did you cr on the craft level need to do to bring Saint out? I had to read more. I had to read more. I didn't have... So I, 
I had what I needed as far as craft. I did not have what I needed as far as how to imagine Saint mm -hmm. as a full person. And I certainly couldn't imagine that first character who wanted to lead the story as a full person, which is why I was stuck. Mm -hmm. But writing Saint and reading more, and I'm not just talking about reading novels, but just reading more in general, reading more scholarship, reading more novels, reading more poetry, reading different articles, just in, in general, and getting more experience. I think also teaching might have helped too, because I, I taught a class on uh, the first eight of Toni Morrison's novels. Um, I was teaching classes on, there was a class called writing, poetry writing of trauma and violence. So poetry collections that I dealt with a traumatic experience or violence in a life. And there was another class that I taught, which was Black Horror and Afrofuturism. And we looked at books, movies, poetry that dealt with those two aspects. So I was learning along with my students. And in that, I was getting I was getting so many resources that fed into to ours. So I just needed to, to be a student again. Mm, I love that. That's beautiful. And then when did you know that ours was ready when did you go to bill and say I, I it's good i'm done how did you know the story was finished <laughs> i was telling him that before it was finished i was so tired <laughs> adam i was exhausted I was like bill i can't anymore he's like no no keep going you got it which didn't mean that i couldn't write it anymore i just wanted him to like try to sell it before i finished he's like no 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 you gotta finish keep going keep going so i didn't know it was done until I literally finished the story. And then this is before all of the revision and all of mm -hmm. the editing happens. The story had to be absolutely completed and there was nothing else really to add. Maybe a little bit more about this character. The plot was solid. What needed to happen was, things, believe it or not, as long as the book is, I had to remove stuff. There was, there was 210,000 words in the novel. Now they're, I think, 185,000. So it was even longer than it is now. I knew it was done when I was able to move my fingers off the keyboard and say, I have nothing else to give. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm going to ask a little bit about, just one question about Bill Clegg. I um, love his writing. He has two novels out, yes. I believe just two. Um, yeah. And he's a brilliant agent. What does he bring to the table in your working relationship, what does he have that that you love? Faith in my work. Unshakable faith in what I'm creating, no matter what it is. I, we originally started working together four hours. And Mutiny, I wrote it in the between time, in the meantime. And I went to him and said, I have this book. I just wrote a book of poetry. I don't know if you want to represent it or not, but I I can send it to you. And he said, flat out, I will represent anything that you write. Mm. So that kind of support on the business end, but also on the editing, he's a fantastic editor. He has a great eye, a great sense of storytelling, what a story needs. And if I need something and I can't get it, you know, on my own, meaning like I need someone to stand up for me or to say, to fight for me, to to get something. He's like, that's my job. I'll do that. There's no question about it. So to to not have to do everything, <laughs> you know, he's he's been a huge support in 
allowing me to just be an imaginative writer. Yeah, I think that freedom of letting your imagination do what it needs to do is is so important. Uh, I hear so often off recording, you know, after after we're done recording, author, like writers will say, there's just uh, talk about the roadblocks that we don't want to talk about publicly. And it's like, mm. it's, it's unfortunate that that still exists, these these roadblocks, but I won't go down that rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> I, I haven't asked this question in a while. And I know it's, it, it's a, a question I refer to as like a audience member at a book event question, which are great, because it's on every audience mm. member minds. But what would you want readers to take away from ours once they finish page 1012 no it's not that long but <laughs> it's not um, that long i don't no, don't no. frighten them <laughs> <laughs> but once once they once ours is closed what do you what do you hope or what do you think maybe readers will take away from from this this beautiful book i have no idea <laughs> and I've, i'm always asked this question and i need to come up with yeah the quickest answer so i can get out of it but also <laughs> but also you know give something that is satisfying mm -hmm think for me it's not really my business because every time I try to come up with an answer I'm like that's not sincere yeah. I want to be sincere and the book isn't even out yet if I start lying the book isn't out yet where is that going to put me sincerely I do not think it's my business what readers mm -hmm. take I just want them to read it and whatever experience they have during it and especially after it's for them to you know to 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 figure out on their own. They can share with me if they want. I probably won't respond. My emails are, are bad enough. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's it's it's not really anything that I think I should be privy to. Yeah. What are you as a reader or media consumer enjoying recently? What what tickles your fancy? I've been watching a lot of anime. Mm. A lot of anime. Now I would have to open up my Crunchyroll app to give you the the names, but there is one that the writing is so good. And, and um, I'm just looking it up right now. So mm -hmm. there's, excuse me, um, the Faraway Paladin, which is on the sweeter end of anime, still action oriented, but um, there's a lot more relationship building with this, this main character. There's, of course, the violence of Jujutsu Kaisen, <laughs> hmm. uh, which every I think a lot of folks who are watching anime have been uh, watching, and particularly those who have read the, the manga. Hmm. And um, there's also, oh, what is it called? What is it called? Freeran, Beyond Journey's End. Freeran is F-R-I-E-R-E-N. And beautiful writing, beautiful, beautiful writing. It's about a, uh, an elf who's over 100 years old. She's, she's actually, she's much older than that. And her original team has died because they're humans. And so she's building a, a new team and learning how to get into her emotions, learning how to actually relate to folks because there are a few regrets that she has but also a lot of hopes that she built with the first team after everyone has died. So it's, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous anime. I want to thank Philip B. Williams so much for discussing his debut novel, Ours, which is available now at your favorite independent bookstore or at bookshop.org. You can find him on the internet at philipbwilliams.com and on Instagram at philipbw underscore author. 
You can find me, Adam, at VitCavage on all social media and follow DayBeautiful at DayBeautiful.net and on all social media at DayBeautiful. And as always, I'm Adam. This is DayBeautiful and you're all beautiful. Beautiful.